This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May of 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, We've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. What was that? Your latest tweet was about urinating on the future president. I will do it. <laughs> I will kiss in his mouth like those clowns in the carnival. Like, you know how those clowns in the carnival, you'd like shoot piss in their mouth till it's a balloon what? pops out of the back of their head? You know, I never fantasized it as urine. I always sort of thought it was more of a water type thing. You never thought of that as piss. No! You're a moron. I think you're the dumb one. <laughs> it could be true. Um, are we good to go, Marcus? All right. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am Ben Kissel with Marcus Parks, of mm. course, and in beautiful Los Angeles. All I want to do is get a real clown, get him down on his fucking knees, mm-hmm. right? spray piss in his mouth till his brain explodes and then i'll get all the tickets well that's kind of a strange (laughs) carnival game maybe in hell maybe that would be a a good episode of your pretty face is going to hell i would be laughing that's not hell that's so much fun getting to kill the fucking uh a clown a a, a technically like a a talentless person or you know some or someone with the initials dt blown out his brains with just the force of my powerful piss stream i guess one person's hell is another person's heaven isn't that how it works (laughs) Uh, well speaking of hell we're going to talk about one of the most hellacious crimes in the history of humanity oh jack the ripper oh yes now before we get started i'd like to thank the good people at the jack the ripper museum in london for providing me with some of the main source material for this series, including the books Capturing Jack the Ripper by Neil Bell and The Jack the Ripper Files by Richard Jones. But Capturing Jack the Ripper, shouldn't that just be like one sentence being like, we didn't. We (laughs) didn't get it. Can you call it capturing? I don't know. Yeah, well, attempting to capture Jack the Ripper doesn't have the same (laughs) ring to it. That's true. We Uh, almost captured Jack the Ripper 140 years ago (laughs) by Neil Bell. Good book. Now, despite what the papers say, the museum is staffed by extremely extremely friendly individuals that are very knowledgeable historians and I would recommend it to anyone visiting or living in London. Cool. What are you talking about? What slanderous papers have been written about the Jack the Ripper Museum? There was quite a bit of controversy about Jack the Ripper Museum as the uh, architect for the museum was told, or he said he was told that he was building a women's museum. Uh, that oh, he was going. Said he, was? To, he said he was. Uh, they, he was told by the people that he was building a women's museum that was uh, celebrating the life of women in the East End in the 1880s. And then when the curtain dropped on opening day, 
at the Ripper Museum. Wait, hold on. So he told he told the public he was building a women's museum. No, the people who were building the museum told the architect that it was a women's museum. <laughs> and then when the curtain dropped, it's like Jack Thorpe was like, oh yeah, there are women in it. This is how every architect in World yeah, War II Germany felt when they're like, I, we, they said it was a hotel. Literally five dead women that were ripped. By a psychopath, oh I'm going to do the same thing when I go to a pitch meeting at ABC. I'm going to be like, it's about two girls. They're struggling in New York City. Uh, they're going out. You know, they're, they're finding themselves in their sexuality and how difficult it is to be single. And then when I send them the pile, it'll be Jack the Ripper. <laughs> just them just getting fucking gutted like fish, oh, well, which goodness. is inappropriate. Yes. Well, I will say that the museum does actually do a pretty good job of uh, painting a portrait of what life was like for women uh, and particularly uh, ladies of the night in uh, 18. 1988 in Whitechapel. Batgirl? Batgirl? Lady of the Night. Ladies no. Of the night? <laughs> By the way, we do have to say uh, the term prostitute will be used in this episode. We will also, I will also say sex worker, but I think officially the best term is ladies of the night. Ladies of the night, yes. So, yeah, I like to say friendly women. <laughs> that's very true also. Now, let's get to Jack the Ripper. I'm trying to think of music from the 1880s. And I don't know. To me, that's what I imagine it sounds like. Yeah, if he would have worn bells and had horns, they would have caught him. I would have had that. Yes. Now, the Jack the Ripper murders occur between August 31st and November 9th in the district of Whitechapel in the city of London in 1888. Now, what many don't know is that the Ripper murders are only five in a series of 11 that stretch from 1888 till 1891. Hmm. And while we will be addressing some of those, we will be focusing on what is known as the canonical five, Mary Nichols, Annie Chapman, Kate Eddowes, Elizabeth Stride, and of course, Mary Kelly. Now, we're going to say this right off. We are not what you would call classical ripperologists because oh there is an entire subsection of uh, true crime aficionados that do refer to themselves as ripperologists. Wait, hold on. I'm going to say this as a person who is a UFO expert. I think that there is only one classification in the world of, of horror nerddom that is less useful than UFO knowledge than being a ripperologist. <laughs> Ufo. I just, That's what I'm just Ripperologist also sounds like the name of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre family. You yeah. get the feeling they called themselves ripperologists. See, the con- ripperologist also sounds like a new fucking hipster like barber where you go and they just take out your nose hairs and your ear hairs. <laughs> I desperately need to go there. No, the but con- we never caught him. Nobody knows who he was. Nope. All of the evidence is fucking 150 years old. And what you wrote here, the conclusions that you even come to with Jack the Ripper just depend on what source material you believe believe is correct. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've found dozens of contradictions and inconsistencies while working this. Some people trust the police more, while others tend to side with the newspapers at the time. I mean, Fake news! <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the fact is, is that you can read whatever you want into the Ripper murders. Now, Which wh- is why they have hung around uh, for so long, and right. why people are so obsessed with them, because it's fun. You get a bunch of useless people to get together, and they can write thousands of pages. Well, I mean, every, talking about- yeah, everyone kind of gets to choose their own adventure, find out who they 
they want to be the killer and things like that. Yeah, you can uh, you can pin anything you want onto Jack the Ripper. Now, what we're trying to do with this episode or this series of episodes is to really give you a feel for the people of Whitechapel, the place where they lived and died, and just how we got to where we are today with how we view the Ripper murders. Now, there will undoubtedly be mistakes and inaccuracies in the next few episodes. (laughs) (laughs) What a fool speaks. That's what I say when I hear Marcus say inaccuracies and mistakes. You're talking about you flip them around. Again, colorful truths. Yeah, what is truth, you know? (laughs) No, we're not historians, and we've done our best with all of this, but we ask you to bear with us as we enter the District of Whitechapel in the year 1888. Put a clothespin like a- on your nose because these yeah. people only take baths every six months. <laughs> I'm technically the cleanest one in town. I had a bath five months ago. <laughs> it's a witch! I'm the witch! Uh, I knew it wasn't good to be clean here. Now, simply put, Whitechapel was the biggest hellhole in all of Eng- England. Now, simply put, Whitechapel was the biggest hellhole in all of England, not to mention London. It had the highest death rates, the lowest life expectancy, and it was the most densely populated and most crime-ridden area in the entire country. And of the, you could get a really cheap apartment. Yeah, I'm yeah. thinking that. Yeah. yeah. Now, of the almost half a million people who lived in the East End, 76,000 lived in the square mile where Jack the Ripper operated, and thousands of those residents were classified as homeless, and one out of four children died before the age of five. And decreased the surplus population. Yeah, that is a crazy high number. 76,000 in one square mile? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now it's kind of like how they described the uh, tenement areas of New York City in the 1920s. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like once we really opened the immigration, for, like to uh, early New York, like down in what is now the Village, all that place was was crazy. Just people mm-hmm. living on top of each other. Yeah. Yeah. Now, because we here in the states were coming into our own in the 1800s, Britain wasn't quite the economic powerhouse that it once was, and the people at the bottom were getting the brunt of it as usual. But even though they were in an economic slump, Britain was still doing pretty. good good. Now, what you've got to understand is that there were two Londons, West and East. The West End at one point had been where many working class people had lived. But in the 1800s, much of the working class housing was demolished to make way for office buildings and such. And so all of those working class people were shoveled into the East End where all the factories were. And all those Cockney yoga shops. <laughs> oh, yeah. I you got to take the knots and you got to ram them up inside your nose. Yeah, you got it there, Gabriel. <laughs> Let me put some small of your back. Breathe through it, you fucking ape. Breathe through it, you fucking fat ape. Now, besides factories, the East End was chock full of slaughterhouses, which was a bit of a problem when the Ripper murders began, as there were dudes constantly walking around covered in blood, carrying big bags of knives. This is a perfect storm for somebody who wants to become Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Same thing as we talked about at the beginning for A.J. Holmes, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of like a, a, a lot of people just out on their own searching for a future. We're going to see a lot, as we've seen in a lot of serial killer cases, about how the, the location itself, the setting for the murder, create these perfect stews, and perfect actually, soups. It does sound like people uh, covered in blood, uh, uh, holding a corpse. It sounds a lot like Chicago now, so isn't that exciting? Yeah. It's, and also, I can see Marcus just smiling, just imagining <laughs> the pure freedom of being able to walk around with big bags of severed (laughs) and and, and blood-covered knives all day, just grinning and whistling because that's his job now. Right. 
And unemployment records being so high, if you saw someone with a bag of meat covered in blood, he's successful. <laughs> he's got a job. He's bona fide. Now, if you didn't work in a slaughterhouse, you might work in one of the many sweatshops in Whitechapel making boots or cabinets. But the hours and conditions were of the standard sweatshop variety, and job security was non-existent, as there were throngs of people just waiting to take your place if you fucked up or complained in the least bit. And they only made boots and cabinets. (laughs) I think that's all they had. Or you might work at the docks, but that was all dependent on if you could get an employment ticket from the foreman first thing in the morning, and that was dependent on if you could win the daily brawls that that occurred every morning trying to procure one of those tickets. Wow. Now, do you think that those guys ever sat in a group of four and said, like, hey, which one of us is the Carrie and which one of us is the Samantha? (laughs) Sort of a sex in the city thing. Yes. And not only were people being pushed in from the West End, but people from all over England were showing up looking for work as their jobs had been decimated from the mechanization of agriculture and textile industries. Go ahead to add to that the influx of Irish immigrants who arrived in the 1840s after the Great Potato Famines. And then you mix in the Jews who are arriving from Eastern Europe to escape widespread pogroms. So the Jewish individuals, of course. Yes, the Jewish individuals. Thank you. Yes, no Thank problem. Thank you. Yes, Jewish individuals. Ladies um, of the night. Can I ask you? Ladies of friendly women. Yes. I wanted to ask a question that I've always wanted to ask, um, and maybe it will prove me to seem ignorant. During the potato famines, Uh-oh. wasn't that they? And this is a question: Did they run out of potatoes, and that was the only thing that they ate, or that they had nothing else to eat? But potatoes, the potato? and then they were all on the no carb diet. It, they, they, what happened was the potatoes. They ran out of basically all the food except for the potatoes, and then the potatoes they got sick. Ah, <laughs> yes. yeah. So it was a potato famine because they ate nothing but potatoes, and then the potatoes I ate almost nothing. But I, for a long time, I ate nothing but potatoes, and I just got big and fat and and swollen. We got those good GMO potatoes. They never go <laughs> yeah. bad. Science. Now, the thing is about Whitechapel is that there were worse places inside an already terrible district. Mm. The worst area in Whitechapel was dubbed the Evil Quarter Mile. Not even trying to hide it. Yeah, but the realtor just called it up, up, up Williamsburg. It's just, I mean, how do you sell real estate in a place like this? North, 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 north Williamsburg. It's incredible. All you need to take is nine hours worth of flights to get to Manhattan. People would pile 20 deep into a single house. Entire families would share one room. And every once in a while, that room would be su- would sublet a corner to a complete stranger. They were subletting corners in rooms that were already filled with entire families. Do you just chalk it out? How do you, I mean, what? <laughs> I would, um, you know what? I'd say I'd dare them to last a fucking two, a fortnight with the Zabrowski family renting just a corner of our home. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, that would be disturbing to say the least. <laughs> But the most common place to stay in the evil quarter mile was where many of Jack the Ripper's victims slept each night, the common lodging houses. Now, in total, these places housed an estimated 6,000 residents, and the majority of the single beds were known as four-penny coffins, so named because they cost four pennies and they were shaped like coffins. Hmm. You know... 
humor is supposed to be an escape from the dark. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like humor is supposed to be thing to make you feel better. Because at this time, you imagine you'd have like a couple of Jimmy Fallon types wearing a fucking jester's hat and walking around talking about how they could suck their own dick and everyone was laughing at him. But what I do like is the fact that they have these four penny coffins and they, they laugh about that. That's like a joke to help yeah. alleviate how they're just mashed into each other's pubic hair all day. <laughs> and that's a good bed. I think it's kind of fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, because we were different because we're essentially goth people. And yeah. I also want to live like Vincent Price and like lay down being like, yes, here's when I will retire eternally. But I don't think it's like that. It's not Elvira Coffin. It's not. I always think, you <laughs> know, what was, is it Lawrence Hutton from Once Bitten, the Jim Carrey feature? <laughs> yeah. Yes. I thought I always wanted to be like her. No, if you didn't have money for a four penny coffin, you could rent a two penny rope. And those were half hammocks made out of strips of coarse sacking. For some reason, I feel like everything is death-themed. <laughs> I, yes. I don't know if that's very uh, appealing. It was a bleak place. I guess and so. if you didn't have money for the two-penny rope, there was the penny setup. But you know, when it comes down to it, why are you paying a penny just to sit someplace? Because it was inside. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. There was oh. a, the two the penny setup was a spot on a long wooden pew in which you would either sleep upright or just slumped on the person next to you. Well, if you can learn that trade uh, or trait, that's actually really good for future office work. <laughs> if you can learn to sleep upright, you can breeze through a day. Yeah, you just got to paint ping pong balls and tape them to the front of your eyeballs so it looks like you're awake during a meeting. And always shocked. <laughs> but uh, what a good job to be the guy that rents out the pews because yeah. really all you need is a slapping stick right because that's all you got to do you got make way make way like the next thing be like oh you can squeeze a little bit oh you two could get on top of each other right yeah a bit of a glyph You'll right, be- glyph is what we call when two men give each other a bit of a snob. A snob is yeah. what we call when two people give each other a bit of a wreck. And a wreck is what we call when two people give something what I have heard is called affection. <laughs> <laughs> we think of the English as such a proper people, but in reality, oh, no. there was a, it was a filthy bunch. They're, no, we they're think garbage. we think of the upper like when yeah. we think of the English, we think of upper class. Putting the pe- putting the uh, pinky out when they drink their tea—that's who we think of with the proper English. But, well, and these are the people who would be the first on the boats to come over to America, right? Yeah. Now, if you didn't have a penny, like literally, if you did not have one penny, there are always the streets, the churchyards, the graveyards, or most popularly, the parks. Jack London wrote about one of these parks in his book, The People of the Abyss. His focus was on Spitalfields in a place called Itchy Park. Yikes. Itchy Park in Spitalfields. Well, that if I don't know if they had crystal meth back then, but if they did, you could get it at Itchy Park. No, he said that it was, quote, a welter of rags and filth. Of all manner of loathsome skin diseases, open sores, bruises, grossness, indecency, leering monstrosities, and bestial faces, I did nothing to help them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, with his top hat and a cane stepping on people's eyeballs. Oh, no, this is Jack London. Jack London was an American. He's a beautiful writer. No, I know he's a beautiful writer, but he had a little bit of money. (laughs) He could have done anything. He could have at least blasted them with the hose. I know that it's now that's obviously seen as a way to break up civil unrest, but at that time, yeah. that would have helped. Well, we don't know what everyone. Kind of, we don't know what information they have. Let's find out. Get them wet. 
And so as bad as the lodging houses were, they at least weren't itchy park in Spittlefields. But if one wanted a place to actually lay down, you needed four pennies. And it just so happened that four pennies was the going rate for street prostitution in Whitechapel in 1888. Now, Kissel, if you were truly alone and you had to choose between a bed and sex, what would you what would you choose? Uh, for four pennies, the exact same thing. You get to lie with a person or without a person, and one is in a coffin and the other was with a person and not in a coffin? Uh, yes. The person. <laughs> Every right? time. I mean, I'm thinking here, you know, if you are a woman, uh, what's the incentive? What what job do you get? The factory work, obviously you're not going to be working at the docks. You don't want to work in the in the meat factories. Being a woman of uh, of leisure in the evening would be the uh, only other alternative. What else were they, they supposed were not to do? They were of leisure. You know what it was is that I just feel I'm almost jealous of them because they really got to express their sexuality. I think that it was good that they could own it. They worked it. They grinded it till they owned it. Yeah, and I think it's bi- I think it was big during that time period. They weren't up there like you know popping their pee, uh, which is a popular term nowadays. Popping uh, their pee for, for vagina. <laughs> they pop it. They, oh. they pop it up like that. I thought popping your pee was something like if I hit a hard speed bump while I'm looking for parking and I oh. piss my pants. Yep, pop the pee. No, this was not glamorous prostitution. No, the, this was not owning your body. This was survival, this, plain and simple. Yeah, like, Deadwood prostitution. Yeah, this, yeah, a family's literal survival might depend on a mother, wife, or daughter prostituting herself. But other yes, women, queen. <laughs> but other women had turned to prostitution as a way to pay for their drinking habits, which was the only tiny escape they had from the crushing brutality of their daily lives. And we can all I agree, mean, the drinking would probably taste something similar to what we would lick off a bar floor now? <laughs> no, it was beer. Yes. They were big beer But it ladies. wasn't very good beer. No, I mean, it was penny pints. Mm. This is my question, Marcus. I was actually thinking about this the other day. Would you think that the booze in that time period was stronger or weaker than it is now? Because I feel like a lot of times they were trying to make mm. booze faster, so the booze wasn't as strong. Well, it was— Because e- if you look, watch Deadwood and they're just doing shots— all day long, <laughs> right. I feel like they're not hammered. They're not like what, like they're not getting a white girl drunk all day. They're mm. literally just—it's just a weaker form of booze. Well, it or was am I a, wrong? Well, it was a lot easier to water down beer and liquor back then because you know it didn't come in sealed bottles or in those big metal kegs. It came in just glass bottles and wooden kegs. No one knew if it had been uh, opened up. No one cared if it had been opened up. So it was very possible some places like watered down beer, watered down liquor. That was a uh, that was a definite possibility. I could see myself liking this place. <laughs> I don't know. I would be a big butcher. Get your drink on at night. That could be kind of fun. No, the yeah, you could have definitely been a guy who pushes people over on the bench or like throws yeah. like drunk guys out of bars and stuff. You would have been a giant. Oh, my. oh, never mind. They would have quartered me in the town square. They would have yes. tied four horses to me and, and murdered me. Actually, if you look at the average height of someone in Whitechapel mm-hmm. at this time, you would have been a foot and a half taller than everyone. Than the average. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like cool. it was so like it was so much that like the one of the victims, she was five five and they called her Long Liz. Long wow. Liz. They said she was the tallest woman they'd ever seen. <laughs> I would be alone, that's for sure. <laughs> now, the number put forth by the Metropolitan Police during the time of the Jack the Ripper murders of just street prostitutes, not even counting those in the brothels, was about 1,200. And almost all of them did their business in the back alleyways and secluded backyards of Whitechapel. They weren't bringing guys back to their apartments. Mm. They weren't bringing guys back to anywhere inside. They were 
were doing everything outside on the street. And how long would one of these interactions last? A couple of minutes. <laughs> how, come, come on, Gustav. I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, I don't when know. it comes down to it, yeah, these guys aren't looking for the clitoris. They're not like lighting candles and slowly nibbling their way up from the ankles up to the butt cheeks. They're going like, eh, oh, oh, Nelly, oh, just, I thought it would be longer outside. <laughs> I thought I'd last longer if we would do right. it outside knowing I got a bunch of blokes watching me do it. But I'm just as fast. <laughs> and for that, I give myself a handshake. <laughs> oh, what a time. Yeah, and that number of street prostitutes was considerably higher than it was in the winter of 1887 when a rich muckety-muck led a moralistic campaign that led to the closure of 200 East End brothels. Uh, so they couldn't even have sex inside. They're literally doing it on the street. When we say street prostitutes, they literally go into alleys and they go like zip zap, zip zap zop, and then they're done. And this made very dangerous for women. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, exactly. Because that guy, I mean, he felt like it was a moralistic victory that because he closed the, closed the brothels that there would be you no, know they no have to go more screw in the woods. Yeah, there would have to there would just be no more prostitution. Boy, because he was thinking if they're gonna do it if they're if they don't have anywhere to do it inside they're not gonna do it at all. But he was very wrong. All this did was make women easier prey, not just for the Ripper, but for unsavory characters of all kinds. No kidding. They See, there were gangs that made their living robbing prostitutes. There were pimps, known then as bullies, which is where the name comes from. That's where the word bully comes from. Used to be an old name for a pimp. They would extort them for protection. And then there were the men who just refused to pay for their services and would instead beat up the prostitutes in dark alleyways. And then Mm. there were, of course, other prostitutes who were always ready to literally fight for their territory. Good. Now, one might ask why a woman would risk all this just for the sake of a little cash. The answer is very simple. A woman can make more money in one night as a prostitute than she could in an entire week in a sweatshop. Now, imagine... What a sweatshop at this time period is like. If you've now heard what the apartment buildings are right. like in this time period, not sweatshops. Now, I imagine working for a week at a sweatshop in 1880s London is fucking horrifying. Oh, yeah. And the idea is that you could be free, be your own boss for the most part. And basically what you have to do is endure a little bit of, of pure, horrible danger. And you can live a much freer life. And there's some stories of women that used it to sort of like create their own brothels or move forward or get out of Whitechapel. But then a lot of times the booze, because life was so crushingly fucking terrible yeah. all the time, would just ruin these people's lives. I mean, I used to complain about working at Taco Bell and, and Papa jo- or at Pizza Hut. I never worked at Papa John's. I, I, I Thank God. Um, but, you know, I mean, this is really horrific stuff here. And this is before labor laws and everything like that. Oh, God, I complain yes. about being professional Comedian. Yeah. <laughs> See, these women that were doing all the street work, they were known as, quote, unfortunates. And every night they depended on the darkness of Whitechapel to do their business. And that is one of the most important things to know about Whitechapel. It was dark. Mm-hmm. See, there was a con- there is a common misconception that these murders were carried out, quote, by the gaslight. That's always what we hear about the Victorian times, that anytime there was a crime, anytime something happened at night, it was always by the gaslight. In reality, the gaslight was over on the West End. Whitechapel had almost no streetlights whatsoever at night. Well, you know, 
as I listen to this, uh, I used to have this idea of Jack the Ripper sort of killing more of an aristocratic bunch. Uh, you know, you always yeah. they sort of they make him look m- much more uh, you know upper class than apparently he was, or and his victims in a lot of ways. Well, it's mostly because of the rumors that spread over who he was, his secret identity for many years. A lot of times they talk to this concept of Gentleman Jack, like somebody who came from the West End to the East End to do his fucking sordid bullshit and then destroy the evidence and then come back. That's Mm -hmm. kind of the that's a common idea of who Jock the Ripper is, which I think is interesting when you look at this just psychically. Right. West End has lights theater is becoming huge there. That is where all the aristocracy are. That's where they hang out, do stuff. They move to the East End, which is literally physically black. What we talk about when, when we come to a lot of times with uh, weird uh, psychological symbols when it comes to serial killers, like the idea of like, you know, when Ed Gein would keep his mom's house perfect, his mom's room like yeah. perfectly done. And how John Wayne Gacy would have to go down into the basement to do his fucking, his, his fucking deeds and that he buried them below his house. It's like psychic he's also hiding them it's kind of interesting how like this is such a beginning to that idea of the of the serial killer psychology the symbolism where it's like you literally go from light to dark the place is literally a mm. labyrinth of dark alleyways and side streets where all of these mm. weird crimes that would happen they kind of it's really started the wave of sexual serial killers and yeah. the fascination about them. Electricity has saved millions and millions of lives in many ways. Uh, but to be fair to John Wayne Gacy, you can't go and bury them on top of your house. You know, you can't you can't staple it. They can't be shingles. You know? Unless you put you fucking staple some antlers to them. Get a fat dude in a sled tied to the back of them. Oh, look, it's my new fun reindeer display. But John, it, if you, Mr. Gacy, yeah, it's, it's July. It's why I celebrate all the year. You ever seen Scrooge? <laughs> I watched that movie Scrooge and it said, keep Christmas in your heart every day of the year. Why does it just have to be one day? Why do they look like boys? Oh, they are boys. Oh. <laughs> oh, Texas Pete is a sauce and allows you to sauce like you mean it. It's what people gather around, it's generosity in its simplest form, and it's a swagger people have who know what's good. Each Texas Pete hot sauce is packed with bold, balanced flavor. This signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. It's been at the center of dinner table since 1929 and is still heating things up today. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. The hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and not for the faint of heart. Sabor! By Texas Pete adds authentic Mexican flavor, and their dust-dry seasoning matches the flavor of the original hot sauce and a flavorful dry rub. Tell you what, the other day I was having myself a good old refried bean burrito, and I wanted a little bit of kick to my morning, so I got myself some cha Texas Pete sriracha sauce, and I smothered those refried beans and that cheese and them eggs and a whole bunch of cha and it started off my day correct. Texas Pete, sauce like you mean it. Visit TexasPete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And use the promo code PODCAST24 for 20% off at TexasPete.com. Last podcast on the left is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace is the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Thanks, Squarespace!
With Squarespace, it's easy to create a beautiful website all on your own terms. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. This ain't your mama's website platform. It is, actually. It's actually be very easy for your mother to learn. You don't want to miss Fluid Engine. It's a next-generation website design system from Squarespace with reimagined drag-and-drop technology for desktop or mobile. I thought it was just the name of what my blood pressure medication turned me into. I'm, I'm peeing. Now, my goals for the year are I have two warehouses filled with horse picks. Now, I know a lot of people, uh, obviously this bit has been done, but the Zendaya centaur picks are not going anywhere. And I've been trying to get the Judge Reinhold sitting on the Clydesdale line out. Uh, I need these moved, okay? Because I have to move into the storage unit. Let's just say there are problems at home. So I need Squarespace to shoot this through the roof for me this year. And that's why I'm going to go full tilt and not only are you going to get the judge reinhold sitting on the clydesdale entire series clothes and non-clothes what we also are going to offer and i mean this we're trying to get into giraffe rides i brought this up the other day we got to start riding other animals but horses take pictures of the horses photoshop the horses into other celebrities but stop riding them save a horse ride a giraffe with Squarespace. Go ahead to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to squarespace.com slash left to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It says right here, what would you do if another extra hour of your day? I mean, well, obviously I'd get some nunchuck training in. Oh, I'd make love to my wife. That takes about nine. That's a full nine minutes of that hour. And then I would probably uh, go to get a donut. And then I'd probably yell at my parents. But a lot of us wish we had more time. The question is time for what? I don't know. What works for you? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. And therapy can help you find out what matters to you so you can do more of it. You know that question? They're like, if you had a billion dollars, what would you do? You know, and like, you know, when I answer it's, of course, I would grind the government to a standstill with my giant machine of my making in secret for many years. But a lot of people get mad at that. And it's really hard to do that in a job interview or like when you're meeting somebody's like your significant other's parents for the first time. So, and you might actually want to think of starting therapy. So give BetterHelp a try. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash last pod today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash L-A-S-T-P-O-D. Now, as I said, the Jack the Ripper murders all occurred in an area that was just a hair over one square mile. The five canonical murders were only a few of the 11 murders historically known as the Whitechapel murders. These murders actually began before the death of Mary Nichols, the first official Ripper victim. They began with the brutal beating and assault of Emma Smith, a prostitute who was killed by a gang of three men on Brick Lane in an extortion attempt. And now, while it is almost certain that the murder of Emma Smith had nothing to do with Jack the Ripper, there is the possibility that the next murder, that of Martha Tabram, may have been Jack's actual first victim. 
Now, a few months after the death of Emma Smith, the body of Martha Tabram, a middle-aged prostitute, was found in a pool of blood on the first floor landing of a tenement building in George Yard. The only thing anyone heard was a stark cry of murder in the middle of the night. But as cries of murder were as common as the tweeting of birds in Whitechapel, nobody paid it any attention. So people just randomly were just screaming. If you saw a body, you'd just be like, murder, and keep on moving? It was usually yeah. if someone was trying to murder you, you'd yell, murder, murder, murder. Oh, I see. That's why you get to scream, free popcorn. <laughs> yes, and then everyone comes to your help, <laughs> to your assistant, to assist you. Now, when Martha's body was found, it was discovered that she had been stabbed 39 times from her throat oh. down to her lower abdomen. Now, this isn't exactly the Jack the Ripper MO as she had been stabbed as opposed to ripped, but this does fall in line with serial killer behavior. Now, we know that many serial killers experiment before they finally settle on their favorite method of killing. Gacy stabbed his first victim, but moved to strangulation once he got a taste for it. And like Gacy, the first kill of a serial killer is a lot of times an impulsive act where the killer loses control and finds that once he's actually gone through with his desires, he likes it and wants more. And if you look at the psychology, hmm. obviously the, the, the psychology behind the other Jack the Ripper victims is that when someone kills a body and has a body and does the sort of mutilations that they do to a body, number one, they're getting some sort of weird sexual thrill out of it, which kind of comes from the rush of starting to just stab somebody and discovering what it means to you. Like if you have someone who's fantasized about it and fantasized about it and then finally got to do it and then it's going like gah, 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 and then you start stabbing you like crazy, this is obviously some sort of intense rage-filled sexual crime, which also goes through the, the, the that that theme runs through the rest of his murders. And it would be pretty horrifying to escalate from here. 39 uh, stab wounds to the torso and neck. It's like, I, I guess you can only go more violent than that if you uh, if this is your first kill. Yeah, now it could be that Martha Tabram was the Ripper's first loss of control as the first canonical victim would be found only three weeks later. However... It must be said that there is ample evidence from the coroner's report that there were two different weapons used in the attack and that the wounds suggest that some were done by a right-handed man while the rest were done with a lefty. Now, while some will argue with me on this, all reliable evidence said that the Ripper worked alone. So, it is fairly safe to say that Martha Tabram was not a victim of Jack the Ripper because they think that it was possibly done by two men. Either way, Whitechapel was already on edge in the autumn of 1888. I'm going to say this right now, though. If you do email to argue with dog meat, just fucking pause for a second at the end of the email. Think about what the fight is you're, tra- you're trying to do. It's 150 <laughs> years ago. Um, go for a walk in a park. You know what I mean? Like, if, if you're about to hit send or the email, just hold on a second before you decide to really go into the true evidence of the autopsy reports that are 150 years old. I just want you to just go find a dog. Go to a pet co and well, pet the dog. But we always appreciate the feedback. Of course. Now, at the time, these were the most brutal and bloody murders that the East End had ever seen. That is, until the body of Marianne Nichols was found on August 31st, 1888. Mary Nichols was a 43-year-old prostitute, 5'2", with gray eyes, graying hair, and missing four of her front teeth, two on the top and two on the bottom. She had married in 1864 and had birthed five children, but her rampant alcoholism, like with many of the other Ripper's victims, had driven her family away. 
on the night. God, that's a, what a good way to get rid of your family. You just <laughs> drink you them away. Such, you, you get to have a good time. You know what I mean? Yeah. You get to party till you don't have a family anymore. Yeah, I think that's what all alcoholics say. In no way are they <laughs> shells of human beings that feel totally shattered by their reality. They're thrilled to be alone all Look the time. <laughs> yeah, after she after her family left her, it was six years of prostitution and alcoholism uh, for Mary Nichols. Oh, ni- man, it's like Hotel California, man. <laughs> living the dream. Now, on the night of her murder, Mary Nichols was drunk and looking for four pence to pay for a night at the common house. She ran into her friend Ellen at around 2.30 a.m. and told her that she had made her four pence twice over that night, but had spent it on drink at a pub called The Frying Pan. Ooh. That's Don't cool. brag about that, ladies. <laughs> that's cool. You know what it comes down to? It, if, you, if you have drank your hotel money down it's not the fun it's not a fun story i don't think ellen was happy to hear it. i think ellen was like i'll go i say mary you're depressing the fuck out of me because i know i even know you need to have a bed it's like a big thing to be inside i don't know man frying pan sounds like a great place to get trash it does now ellen tried to get mary to come back to her with come back with her to the lodging house but mary was adamant that she could still make her money and pointed to her jolly bonnet as she called it as proof that she was up to the tax and i'm not um, victim blaming whatsoever but you know the conversation was like i'll do it i'm still gonna do it so you can i'm gonna do it i'm doing it tell me i can't do it i'm I'm also gonna say this i've never chose to slept with a woman because of her hat (laughs) this is uh, you know strange london (laughs) sometime between mary's meeting with ellen and 3 30 a.m that's about an hour mary met up with the man that we have come to know as jack the ripper he took her through a dark gateway in bucks row to a thoroughfare lined on one side by two-story houses and the other by warehouses There, the killer pulled out a knife and quickly slashed Mary's throat from left to right, Mm. severing her windpipe before she had the opportunity to let out a single sound. She fell to the ground and died almost instantly. The Ripper laid her on her back and cut the neck again, this time severing her spinal cord. Mm. He then moved down and jaggedly cut open her stomach from the bottom of the ribs on the right side down to underneath the pelvis. He then stabbed her twice in the pubic area and ran away, possibly chased away by the sound of the man who discovered the body, a carriage man named Charles Cross. So now there was no sexual intent here. He just wanted to murder. Well, there was. It definitely was. When you look at the nature of that crime, when you're playing with the guts like that, when you're doing that, when you're dismembering the body, it is about uh, there is a sexual release. So you think that he had one? Possibly. I imagine he came as Britchers, yes. But I did watch a documentary know. called The Secret Identity of Jack the Ripper with Peter Ustinov, where they were, he got like a panel of guys from FBI together, and it was like this was made in 1988 on the 100-year anniversary. A bunch of docs came out in 1988 because it was the 100-year anniversary, and Peter Ustinov had this guy from the FBI. Now, Peter Ustinov is a big, fat, flabby-faced British actor. It was like, we, we will get to the bottom of this mystery at the end of this one-hour documentary. No, they of course they don't. They did not. Okay. But, they, but the guy that they had, the FBI, they described this crime. He was just like, no, tell me, a director of happenstance, tell me, how does one kill someone so silently? And he's like, well, I'll tell you how you do it. And he grabbed the mannequin <laughs> and started going like, 
Well, you gotta come. You gotta cut the throat like this. Cut the throat like this, and then you put it, put it down. And, and he was so fat and just sweating all over this mannequin. <laughs> going, you go give it a quick slash, slash your, give a slash your hair. And then Peter Ustinov, it's like he gets up and he stands. It's very awkward because it's British television. They don't understand to edit it to be snappy. And the Peter Ustinov, it's like a beat, and he's like, "Thank you." <laughs> We don't know if he finished the did – he, did he climax, though, the FBI guy? I think he came he as might. Bridget. Okay, I don't know. Everyone loves a good family mystery, especially one with as many twists and turns as June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game with a captivating detective story. It takes you back to the glamour of the 1920s with a diverse cast of characters. You'll step into the role of June Parker and search for hidden clues to uncover the mystery of her sister's murder. Use your observation skills to quickly uncover key pieces of information that lead to chapters of mystery, danger, and romance. You're going to get a kiss in there. That's mystery, danger, and romance as you search for hidden objects from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris. Watch out for those sidewalks. They are covered in urine. And customize your very own luxurious estate island. Think expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. Collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. And you can chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. Oh, how I love the 1920s. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. The experts at Fast Growing Trees curate thousands of plants for all climates, locations, and needs. Available 24-7, you can talk to a plant expert about your soil type, landscape design, and how best to take care of your plants. I love fast growing trees because I just moved here to Los Angeles. I got a yard now and I'm doing all the landscaping myself. I love working in my garden. I love planting stuff. I love growing stuff. And the cool thing about fast growing trees that I really like is that they tell you exactly what type of growing zone you're in. I'm in growing zone 10 and they can tell you exactly what type of trees or plants or whatever you can put out in front of your house. Uh, I'm looking at the Norfolk Island pine tree. I'm looking at putting a little bit of red sister cordyline up in front of my fence. I think that'll the red will really pop nice. And maybe for the backyard, I got an extra planter that I might put a pl- Satsuma plum tree in. And these prices are reasonable. They're reasonable if you've ever been to a nursery. But right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEFT at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code LEFT at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code LEFT. Offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Dun, 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 dun. It's sports. Prize picks. Football season may be over. 
but the action on the floor, oh, it's eaten up. Whether it's tournament season or the fight for playoff home court, there's no shortage of high-stakes basketball moments this time of year. Yeah! Toss that rock! Come on, guys! Yeah, pass it around! Get on the excitement with Price Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app where you can turn your hoops knowledge into serious caps. Whether it's hula hoops or earring hoops, you're going to know everything you need to know about sports. You can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with little as four correct picks. Conference tournaments are here, which means the biggest moments in college basketball are getting closer. Basket. Price Picks even offers injury insurance so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. I sure wish that Bobby Bonilla was still in the game because I would pick him to go all the way. Can you imagine if Bobby Bonilla played basketball? Woo-wee, dog! Then it would be more like baseball, but Bobby Bonilla would still be crushing it in the contract game. Woo! The deadliest game of all. Download the app today. And use code LEFT for a first deposit match up to $100. That's code LEFT for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Now, Charles Cross, the guy who found the body as it was dark, he hadn't seen the extent of her injuries, so he put his hand on her chest, and he felt it move, so it's possible she was still breathing. He went to grab a policeman, and he told her she's either dead or drunk, but as they arrived with the constable in tow, the constable shone his bullseye lamp on her body to see blood oozing from the deep cut on her throat. And as soon as the body was taken back to the mortuary, a local resident started her day by washing all the blood from the gateway, and soon almost all evidence of the murder was gone. Oh, that's good. It's just we, like what the LAPD did. Uh, the LAPD did with OJ. Just, just <laughs> clean it up, you know. Come on, it's Whitechapel. You don't want the sidewalks to look messy. That's very true. <laughs> See, now while this may be viewed by some as extreme incompetence, in reality, the police had already gathered all of the information that was useful to. Them. They knew she had not been dragged to the spot. They knew she had died where she was found, and they knew there was no struggle. Since the extent of forensics at this time was just making plaster casts out of footprints, there wasn't a hell of a lot that they could have actually done, and there was no real reason to leave a gigantic pool of blood in the middle of a public thoroughfare for the public to trot through on their way to work that day. Says right. you. <laughs> Now, let's get into the police just a little bit. The concept of a police force was relatively new in 1888, with the world's first organized police force being created less than 100 years earlier right there in London. Now, the modern force, the Metropolitan Police, had been created less than 50 years earlier in 1829. From the beginning, the population viewed them with suspicion, calling them blue devils and raw lobsters. Interesting. Raw lobsters. I'm calling cops for raw lobsters from now on. (laughs) a strange term for him. <laughs> now, to give you an idea of how dangerous it was to be a police officer, the first constables took to the street wearing leather collars to prevent garroting and high beaver skin top hats, which protected <laughs> against blows to the head. There's so they the- just look like fucking Lady Gaga <laughs> yeah, walking around? Give them an award. I love that look. I wish cops still dressed like that. <laughs> and they were high fashion. All looking like Trent Reznor. All looking like fucking Madonna from that uh, uh, with uh, the, the sexual. She, she was in oh, leather. That's all right. I remember was like masturbated to that video a lot. 
Yes. Yeah. And since they were, and not only did they have the top hat, but they were all required to be at least five foot nine, which means mm. they were already half a foot taller than most of the people in Whitechapel. Add to that a giant beaver skin top hat, and you have a very imposing presence walking around the neighborhood. Not the most trustworthy man around. Okay. And everyone knows on this podcast, you can't trawl, you can't trust a tall man. <laughs> well, by this standard, Marcus is tall enough to be a police officer. <laughs> I'm tall enough. To be, well, I'm not. No, you're but not. Technically, I would still be strapping. <laughs> Five foot seven. Yeah, that's true. This would, this would have been a good time for you. So nobody in Whitechapel actually trusted the police, and every group had a reason. The Irish didn't talk to them because they saw them as establishment figureheads, the closest they could come to the evil empire that had destroyed their life and oppressed their people. The Jews didn't talk to them because <clears throat> they saw the cops as shadowy government government figures, much like those that had carried out the pogroms. They had just escaped in Eastern Europe. But among all the groups, there was a strict no-snitch policy when it came to the cops, and that, of course, made their job enormously difficult. I'm just going to say, I understand the no-snitch policy. Uh, you know, the police have been sort of over-policing certain uh, communities and making some money off of them. But in this situation, just go ahead and tell them. If you, if you probably... know somebody who's like, yeah, I'd be almost beheaded a prostitute or a sex worker, uh, just go go ahead and tell the cops that. <laughs> but you know what I think is interesting is actually almost, almost the reverse here, where it's like because of these conditions, who are the people deciding to be cops? Who wants to be a cop? At this time period, you probably have to be a psychopath. Well, nobody... Well, well, that's the thing. is that It wasn't like all of London was like Whitechapel. Whitechapel was no. just the worst area. You were sent to Whitechapel, and oh. nobody wanted to be sent to Whitechapel. I'm sure you had to do something bad in, in beautiful downtown London uh, to get sent to Whitechapel. Yeah, no one wanted to When you were best. in London, I wanted to go to Whitechapel. I they went have to tours White now. Yeah, I went to Whitechapel. It was great. Yeah, great place. Yeah, they have Jack the Ripper jerky. It's like jerky the Ripper. And they got like all That's sorts of Jack the Ripper ice cream. And they got <laughs> Jack the Ripper buttons, Jack the <laughs> Ripper capes, and Gladstone bags. Well, other than the jerky, I think those are fun products. The, the jerky kind of goes a little far, I think. Now, people distrusted the police so much that when someone in Whitechapel was arrested, the citizens would actually organize what they called rescues in which they, as a neighborhood, Ooh. would throw bricks iron or anything else they could grab at the police. The police would go six at a time to go yeah. and arrest someone. I have to admit that would be fun. That <laughs> it would, would be you, kind of you fun get to bust your buddy out of jail. Stuff at cops. Yeah. Well, I mean, just busting your friend out of jail is extremely yeah. fun. It's like the Blues yeah. Brothers. It's like every day is like Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Now, from what I could tell, a cry of police was actually like more likely to bring help than a cry of murder. But the thing is, is that there actually weren't that many police officers. Policing that area of Whitechapel, where 76,000 people lived, there were only 548 officers. And the police... Yeah, because you have to be crazy. But you have to be crazy to apply to be a police officer. But they're big. You know, like Super Mario sure. Brothers. When they made that move, <laughs> King Koopa, the Goombas, he made them big. Yeah. Made them big. Tiny yeah. heads, though. Yeah, well, small heads. Yeah, not smart. 
Well, the police only patrolled major thoroughfares, and even then, it was just to hold the place together and react to crime as it happened rather than doing any actual police work. They just didn't have the manpower. Not only that, but due to the ever-present darkness, not only were there ample opportunities for crime, but even if someone did witness a crime happening, it was unlikely they'd be able to even see the face well enough to recognize them later. Well, you would have to gotcha. really, if you're an officer, you got to catch them red-handed, and by red, I mean covered in blood. I mean, other than that, you really, you're not going to get anybody. Actually, that was the prostitution laws at the time, is that the only way that prostitution could be convicted is if the officer actually saw the people having sex. They called them suspicious couples. Hmm. And that's only when he's next in line. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Uh, you know what they should have done? So you take a kid, right? Like a kid who just has no parents, like an orphan, like someone who's around the street, and you're like, "Come here, kid. Come here, kid. Come on, kid. Do you want? Do you want a shower? Right?" And he's like, "Oh, please, anything, anything, but but the constant filth." And you cover him in gasoline, you set him on fire, and he runs through the alleys. He'll illuminate everyone, and then that could be like the first sirens. Uh- Officer Zabrowski, um, we thought you were just going to be a big kind of dumpy idiot, and turns yeah, out you're the yeah. smartest cop we got here in London. Right, right, I'm good. I'm clever. <laughs> now let's just go find that boy. <laughs> in the aftermath of the murder of Mary Nichols, prostitutes afraid for their lives finally started talking to the police, and the name that was being bandied about the most was a man named Jack Pizer, a.k.a. Leather Apron. That is horrifying. <laughs> leather Apron. That was the original name of Jack the Ripper. Before he was Jack the Ripper, he was Leather Apron. Ooh, I'm going to say that might be more scary. It, it definitely sent a chill down my uh, spleen there. <laughs> wow. I don't know why when I think of Leather Apron, I think of a big vagina. <laughs> I don't know either, but that could be a, a euphemism for one, I suppose. Now, he was given this name, as one might expect, because he was almost never seen without the type of leather apron usually worn by slaughter house workers. Can I imagine him wearing nothing else? <laughs> and then he turns around, he's got a cute little, like a little Christian bail butt. I'll tell you, it was comfortable if it wasn't for the fact that the tip of my helmet here is getting pretty scraped by the leather. It's got to toughen it up, I guess. Now, word on the street was Pizer was in the habit of beating prostitutes half to death for fun and profit. And police set to work tracking down Pizer, but unfortunately for the police, the Daily Star, just as much of a bastion of hard-hitting journalism as it is today, caught wind of the catchy name and ran with it. This is what they said in the September 5th edition as they wrote a description of Jack Pizer, a.k.a. Leather Apron. His eyes are small and glittering. His lips are usually parted in a grin, which is not only not reassuring, but excessively repellent. Leather Apron always carried a sharp knife, and it also claimed that he is a Jew or of Jewish parentage, his face being of a marked Hebrew type. Is that bad to say? (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's the parlance of their time, but they wouldn't know that. This is just no. a made-up. It's just a made-up uh, series of character traits that they wanted to like, have it be, be real, right? 
No, they also are heavily racist against Jewish people. Yeah, that, the entire the entire all of London was had a deep, d d very big problem with Jewish people, and they blame them all the time. The idea is that it was a huge influx of the Jewish population into Whitechapel, and they viewed them as the big source of all their problems because it wasn't other fucking slack jawed, no toothed Cockney idiots. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and then you add that to the fact that the most famous murder in uh, Whitechapel before. Uh, Emma Smith was the murder of Miriam Angel. She had been murdered by a Jewish man named Israel Lipsky. Uh, he poured nitric acid down her throat, forcibly so. Mm. Uh, and yeah, after that, Lipsky was used as a pejorative for Jewish person. I see. Yeah. And but the, the crime was sort of similar, kind of like the Menendez brothers type level of crime, right? In London, like it was like a very big kind of crazy tabloid crime yeah absolutely and so it was that when the ripper murders occurred the jews were the first to be blamed as many believed it as impossible for an englishman to be the perpetrator of such dreadful crimes you invented slavery <laughs> yeah <laughs> no, it was against this background that the ripper would take his second victim annie chapman which we will cover along with all the other murders on the next episode Oh, my God. Is that where we're going to wrap this that's one up? That's where we're going to wrap this one up. Wow. All right. So wow. that's a little bit about Whitechapel, this dark, disgusting world. Uh, I, lo I love that you pointed out it doesn't happen by the gaslight. No. Uh, you know, there isn't some bizarre, beautiful, macabre um, profile picture in the, in the darkness. It's just a brutal world full of sadness and poverty. Yeah. You literally just have to find your way to the pharmacy by slashing a knife in a dark alley. <laughs> just being like, I hope I hit it. Right. I hope I get to it. So we have a perfect scenario of uh, disenfranchisement, terrible uh, press coverage, uh, the police completely in shambles. I mean, this is the ideal breeding ground for somebody who wants to become a serial killer. Yeah. You look at someone like Son of Sam, wow. same things popped out. Like Son of Sam popped out of the same thing, 1970s, New York City. What uh, Richard Ramirez took advantage of in L.A. These people like do these type. It, <clears throat> it's weird. I don't know if it's a chicken and the egg scenario. I don't know if it's, oh, you can't always tell like to do bad times always equal serial murder but a lot of times they do yeah i mean it certainly uh certainly makes it easier to accomplish yeah so what we talked about in uh our black serial killers episode that mm -hmm. there were five separate serial killers operating in south central la in the uh 1990s and i would assume the victims in this situation you know now uh of course as we have so many years removed uh the sex workers I i'm sure they were looked down upon by society and no one really cared that they had been going missing uh, for uh, quite a while. It was. It's been that way since the beginning of time. Since the beginning of the job, people automatically assumed that they were less than because they chose to do this for a living. They chose to do sex work as a living, but when it comes down to it, it's being like, that was the only thing they had. Right. It's like, unless you literally were born into money, yeah. you were fucked. Yeah. I mean, unless you were born into the monarchy, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, all right. Well, great first episode. Getting to understand Whitechapel. I can't wait to hear more about it. And uh, we'll keep... There's uh, so much... So many pages of useless nonsense left to go through. <laughs> so much. My favorite, though, is the royalty conspiracy is my favorite shit and my favorite suspect. If you're anyway, if you are a ripperologist yourself, Prince Albert Ebby is my favorite dude in this whole thing. I can't wait to get to him. Can't wait. God. All right. Well, that'll be coming up on episode two. And I think this might be a, it's just a three-parter. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. Um, his well, neck was too weak to hold up his head. <laughs> is that right? Yes. Well, then you don't get to live. <laughs> ah, come on. Inbred British fucking princes and bullshit.
Uh, we got a lot to get to. Um, all right, everyone. Thank you guys so much for listening. Marcus, we got some uh, information about live shows coming up. Yeah, if you uh, want to go and uh, see us live, go to cavecomedyradio.com slash live. Uh, there are tickets left for uh, St. Louis. Uh, and what are the other ones here? I believe we still have tickets left for our uh, second San Francisco show. Nice. Uh, but, yeah, go to uh, cavecomedyradio.com slash live uh, to uh, see if we're coming to a city near you. Absolutely. Boston was a blast. Yeah, we, we had th- so much fun. Yes, thank everybody in Boston uh, for coming out. We thanked him on Top Hat here uh, th- this week as well. Thank you guys so much for braving the cold and all the snow. I mean, those shows were just absolutely wonderful. And it, once again, it was incredible meeting everybody. Best fans. I, I could never imagine it, uh, having such incredible fans. Beautiful. It's so funny. Th- this episode also made me think of the people we met in Glasgow and Manchester. I'm yeah. sorry about that. But I was like thinking about Scott and Liam and Lindsay and Caroline <laughs> and Knees. And Sarah, there was a bunch of people who was think, thinking about it being like, oh, man, I'm glad they didn't live then because <laughs> they would all be in bad circumstances. Well, Glasgow, you know, we got a feeling of what it might have been like back then. Yeah, yes. Great people. Yes. <laughs> Glasgow, I remember we woke up at 930, 10 o'clock in the morning. The bars were filled. I was like, is there a football match happening? That means soccer over there. And they said no. And none of the TVs were on. <laughs> it was just full of people. Great people. Um, all right. Thank you guys so much for supporting all the shows here on CCR. April against Top Hat. Keep on supporting that show. We're absolutely crushing it. Uh, rate and review on iTunes. Uh, Roundtable of Gentlemen. Uh, page 7, Sex and Other Human Activities. And uh, all, just all the shows here on Cave Comedy Radio. You're, do, you're doing such great work, Marcus. Good work. Yeah. We're going to cover a follow us on Twitter. I'm at Henry Loves You, at Ben Kissel, at Marcus Parks. And then follow us all on all platforms for at LP on the left. Yes. All right. That's Hail it. Hail Satan. Hail yourselves. Hail game. Hail me. And a magustalations to all. And to all, a good night. I thought you were going to say, and to all, a magustalations. <laughs> well, I should have. <laughs> well, fuck this. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support so you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.